This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to journalist Sean Williams. You might know him from the Underworld podcast. He's just got back from Tigray, the region currently under siege and at war with Ethiopia and also Eritrea. It's a horrific conflict. Ethiopian and Eritrean troops have been raping women as a weapon of war. It's absolutely horrific. Sean has just got back from there. He's going to tell us about his reporting. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front. So you've just been in uh, Tigray, you've been there reporting, um, obviously on the, the conflict there. Maybe just uh, explain to us um, a little bit about the current situation there on the ground. I guess when I was looking into it was probably when it came into the news like a few months ago and uh, there was kind of the brewings of a conflict going on and there have been some human rights abuses in various cities and towns all over the region. Um, I was out in Tigray for, what, a week and a half, maybe a bit longer than that. Um, And over the course of that time even, so that's a couple of weeks ago or even less than that, it's, it's changed a bit, the conflict. So... When I was there, I flew into Mekeli, which is the kind of regional capital, and then went about sort of organising a trip up through. There's only a few sort of paved roads in the region and going towards Aksum and Shira, which is two of the biggest cities affected by the violence. Um, now, by the time I got there, the the, the TDF, the Tigray Defence Forces, which is the kind of guerrilla fighting force of the TPLF, which sort of ran the region for a long, long time, they had been pushed out of the major cities pretty early on by Eritrean and Ethiopian troops. And they were kind of fighting pitched battles out on these huge plains surrounded by canyons. I mean, it's gorgeous out there. But they were they were sort of drawing the Eritreans and the Ethiopians out into the rural areas to, well, they told me to try and... Um, you know, keep the fighting away from civilians, keep casualties low. I, I, I do believe them in that sense. I think that they are trying to minimise the, uh, the the violence that's going on in the towns. There's been too much of that already. Um, so as I was leaving, actually, the fight seemed to have been morphing into a different kind of battle in the sense that it had turned from an urban sort of guerrilla uh, conflict into something a bit more into something a bit more pitched, something a bit more structured almost, but well away from the cities. But then as I was leaving, uh, you could hear shelling and, and gunfire uh, every night in the major cities. It was kind of ramping up again. So I think there's kind of a new phase of this conflict. And I think we we're just at the sort of beginning of it. And it could be going on for some time. Right. And uh, what about the massacres? Are they still ongoing? So... It's similar as similar to the conflict, like there were there were huge massacres, obviously in Aksum, uh, seven to eight hundred people killed in two or three days, uh, depending which sources you believe. Um, but it definitely happened, and there were so, and there were massacres going on in other major cities, mostly in the west of Tigray, in those early days. But now that that those civilian casualties have slowed down, um, but what has broken out instead is this kind of low level pogrom 
And what I mean is, for example, like when I was in Mechali last, some Eritrean soldier lobbed a grenade into a bus stop and killed three or four people, I think it was. When I was up in Adigrat, which is near the Eritrean border, there are people being dragged from their homes and, and shot dead on their doorsteps. Um, it's turned into this kind of like really dirty, really sort of terror-laden war um, where any young person, uh, mostly young men, um, of fighting age is considered a potential agent of the TDF. So especially in terms of the, the Eritreans who are carrying out the majority of uh, human rights abuses, they will be targeting young men. And obviously the sexual violence committed against women as well is hugely, hugely disturbing uh, and definitely meant as a tool of war. Yeah, and there's, I watched um, a very brutal report on Channel 4 News about um, the use of rape as well. Like, it seems to be widespread. Like, the use of rape as, you know, almost a weapon, essentially, in the war. Yeah, it's 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 tragic. I mean, uh, one of the things that really got to me over the course of the reporting of this conflict is how how sort of commonplace and daily these uh, sexual the acts of sexual violence have become so that people almost don't react to them when you speak about them on the side of the road or in a cafe somewhere. You know, people talk about someone being gang raped by 12, 15, 25 soldiers as if that's just part of this conflict now. And it seems to be a given um, that these horrific acts are just committed, again, um, almost 100% by Eritrean, not Ethiopian soldiers. And... Yeah, I mean, I met a guy who was travelling for a little a small town called Fawaini. He was a, an NGO worker and he said he treated over 500 women um, who had been raped by Eritrean soldiers during the course of the conflict, and that's just in a few months. And that's one guy. So, you know, you can imagine how widespread this is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really awful. Yeah, it's disgusting, man. Um, we did an episode previously about Tigray, and I didn't realize like the um, the one we had on. She she was knowledgeable, but she was a bit like too kind of biased or pro towards the kind of militant groups there. Um, so I was wondering what what like what is the actual like um, relationship between the people of Tigray and the the, the militant groups, the guerrillas that are, you know in this battle. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably get dragged for whatever I say on this because the <laughs> the uh, the discourse about this conflict is absolutely toxic. But essentially, there are there is one party involved. That's the TPLF, the Tigray People's Liberation Front. They actually have a lot of cultural and political capital in the whole of Ethiopia, and they ran the country for twenty seven years after they ousted the Derg, which is the uh, the communist. Um, Hunter, which was in in control of uh, Ethiopia for, I think, 16 years from 75 to 91. So their whole culture is one of kind of martyrdom, right? They're the, they're, the, they're the only real significant force in the country that fought off these kind of communist baddies that, that held the country to ransom for so long. You can see it on the hills outside the city. There's loads of like martyrdom monuments. There's the... the the reverie for the soldiers of that era is huge all over Tigray. You know, they saved the country in their mind. But then they ran the country and they ran it with a bit of an iron fist themselves and they were pretty corrupt. And there there were all sorts of human rights abuses committed by them. So it's a bit of a, the emperor's new clothes, really. And then when Abiy Ahmed comes in, it's sort of like 
his whole shtick is to centralise power, keep power away from the regions and keeping power away from the TPF, TPLF is part of this. Now, since then, since this has all kicked off, um, the TPLF has all but ceased to exist as a kind of held-together party. But then you have the TDF, the T-grade Defence Forces, which is a kind of like guerrilla wing of them. Now, there, people from the region or people who are pro-TPLF, and there are plenty of them, they'll tell you that there was like a flourishing democracy in the region, that there are opposition parties. There are, but, you know, there, there was the... If if it was the flourishments of a democracy, it was kind of the first buds ever. Um, it was essentially an old sort of Marxist-Leninist, um, communist sort of like, you know, militarised party, um, siphoning off a lot of the wealth in the region. People are very, very poor there, uh, but the leadership is not. So it's, it's, it's undoubtedly the case that the human rights abuses carried out mostly by the Eritreans again during this conflict have kind of galvanised the people behind the TPLF, that's for sure. But the idea that the whole region is behind this one group of mostly old guys, that's not true. And I met dozens and dozens of people on my travels that expressed distaste in the way that the TPLF had tried to sort of, you know, fight the government uh, hand-to-hand and sort of like refuse to come to the negotiating table about many things. Again, I'll probably get dragged on that because um, a lot of the reason that people are disgusted with the government in Addis Ababa is that they've kind of refused to legitimise Tigray. But it's certainly, it's definitely the case as I see it that this sort of second phase of the war, so to speak, a large part of that is because these leaders in exile have managed to sort of send the clarion call out to young men who might have been shot, might have seen family members raped or killed during the first wave of these attacks. And now these young men are joining the call. So there's a huge recruitment drive going on. They're armed to the teeth, but from back in the day, I really don't see a way that this war ends, really. I think it's going to continue for for a while, yeah. Yeah, no, same. I've been keeping an eye on it. Um, what about the international community? I've seen a lot of people online saying, like, you know, the UN or whoever should be getting involved, whatever. Um, what is going on with all that? Yeah, I mean, they should be, but <laughs> you know as well as anyone else. Yeah, that they've yeah, bloody done. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Americans, they appointed this uh, former, they, they bought this kind of old uh, grizzled Horn of Africa ambassador out of uh, retirement to become some kind of a Horn of Africa, uh, I don't know, envoy or something. Um, he His major action so far is to say that Ethiopia has a population of 110 million, so if it all goes pear, pear-shaped there, then it will be worse than Syria by a measure of degrees. I mean, I don't even know what that means. It's just sort of, you know, all right, if China goes down the pot, then is it 10 times worse than that? I don't know. Um so they've done that. The UN has sort of, you know, done its usual thing of saying they're gravely concerned. Um, and, you know, that UNICEF and, and UNH, oh, what's it called? The, um, the uh, refugees. Yeah, yeah. They've been, they've been sending aid to the region, uh, some of which has been blocked by the Eritreans already. So 
really apart from playing lip service, there's not a lot coming from the international community. Uh, the Europeans, the EU has also said a few things, but to be honest, I mean, to, to, to be a bit cynical about it, which I guess I should be, um, the, the, there's about 70,000 people have been killed, um, up to 2 million displaced. There's a, there's a growing, there's a, there's growing concerns that another famine, I mean, can you imagine like a famine in Ethiopia again, um, is on its way. And I just don't have faith that 70,000 dead Africans is enough to persuade Europe or the US to actually um, do anything decisive right now. I think it's going to grind on as an internal conflict for some time before any major action is taken. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't really see anything otherwise at the moment. No, I think you're probably right. I mean, that seems to be the way conflicts often go in Africa. You know, it's, it's really sad, actually. I, I feel like... It's one of the places where even editors are just like not really that bothered. It's like fucking hell, man. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very sad. Um, talking about that, how how hard or easy was it? I guess uh, for you to to report there. I I know that at one point it was like extremely difficult for foreigners to get in, but you said you haven't had that much trouble, right? Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning of it, I was always really keen to get out there and. I've I've never this is my first ever journalist visa in my entire life. So I was always really reluctant to get a J visa. Oh, you oh okay, you got one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, the more people I spoke to on the ground, the uh, correspondence base in Addis and so on like they they really did say that without without that piece of paper you ain't going to get anywhere in Tigray. You are, you're not even going to get in. And subsequently I found out they're totally 100% right. Um now, there is a pretty extensive intelligence apparatus all over Ethiopia. Um, that is not the fault of the current government. That, again, is the fault of the TPLF, uh, who are in power for so many years. They sort of welcomed Huawei and other sort of, uh, you know, providers that have set up various infrastructures that are pretty grim on human rights. Um, I actually felt the hand of those people pretty lightly um, compared to, say, where I've been recently in Myanmar, for example, um, there I didn't really get the sense of a very heavy-handed intelligence uh, community bearing down on me. Having said that, there were definitely, I mean, all of these towns and villages and cities that I went to, they're under occupation either by Eritrea or Ethiopia, very, very visible and very, very heavy military presence. Um so speaking to people included a bit of smoke and mirrors, you know, running around the back, hiding in various places. But by and large, I didn't face a huge amount of roadblocks to reporting there. Um, one thing that did stop me was the fact that they just shut the road. So there's basically one road that goes across a mountain range to Aksum, which is this ancient city where a lot of the worst violence has been carried out. That road was blocked for over a week. So it meant that I could only get there towards the end of my reporting. Um, so unfortunately, I, I wanted to do the lion's share of my reporting out there and I could only really do a couple of days. But I, the people, civilians, they're obviously desperate to speak to anyone who will listen to them, um, speaking really emotively and, and really wonderfully about their experiences. I'm obviously indebted to them. I didn't have any problem speaking to people, but um, 
Uh, yeah, the, the military presence is the main thing, and it is. There are thousands and thousands of troops everywhere. The uh, mostly Ethiopian. Are you seeing uh, Eritrean troops as well? There are areas where there are only Ethiopians. So in the major cities, there must have been some kind of a deal made that in the major cities like Aksum, Mekele, elsewhere, you won't see many Eritrean troops. If you do see a handful of them, I believe the people who were telling me that half the time, I'd say, um, mostly those are Ethiopian troops. However, if you go up to the sort of the hinterlands and the smaller towns towards the Eritrean border, there are whole swathes of the country that are entirely under Eritrean occupation. Um, the checkpoints are Eritrean. Uh, there's military vehicles, APVs everywhere, all Eritrean. And in fact, there are pockets of those guys further south than Mekele, which means that currently uh, Eritrean troops are occupying around up to 200 miles into Ethiopian territory, which is pretty staggering given that um, Eritreans have been carrying out the vast majority of the rapes, the looting, the massacres, um, and Eritrean, you know, the Eritrean dictatorship, and it is like the most tin pot of all dictatorships, it's it's wanted that land for a long, long time. There was a war 20-odd years ago about this, exactly. And now I see that as one of the biggest obstacles to peace in the region now because what are you going to do if you're Abiy Ahmed and you're telling your opposite number, Afawerki in Eritrea, oh, sorry, mate, do you mind retreating a bit so we can try and make peace in the region? I think he's going to tell him to piss off. So that, and I cannot see any guerrilla rebel forces um, putting down their guns unless the Eritreans leave, which they won't do. So that I, I find that the most disturbing side of this conflict. I mean, it's like having the people that torched your houses and, and, and raped your, you know, raped your sister. They're just standing there watching over your town now and they're foreign invaders. So I don't see how that is going to help anything get better in the near future. No, it's kind of rubbing their faces in it. Um, maybe explain for, for those that don't know why, you know, why is Eritrea even involved at this stage? Well, Eritrea has always had um, border disputes in that region. So Tigray and Eritrea share a border. They they also share a language and they also share a lot of demographics. So the people are very similar. Um, obviously, Eritrea fought and won its independence from Ethiopia many years ago after 30 years of conflict, still has the same, in inverted commas, government, um, known as Africa's North Korea. Um, its soldiers are basically inducted into never-ending national service. Some of them never get out again. So they're slaves. He's got a slave army, Averwerki, and a huge one at that. So at the start of the conflict, essentially Ethiopia has outsourced its violence and it's welcomed in, I mean, the, the peace deal that was made in 2018 that won Abiy the Nobel Peace Prize. Whoever gave him that prize needs shooting <laughs> i don't know for want of a better phrase it's unbelievable yeah well well i don't know is it i mean <laughs> there's a lot of scumbags have gotten the nobel peace peace prize uh menachem begin obama like yeah it's crazy but yeah so so he's he's still alive and kicking yeah very much so and um he and and ethiopia essentially welcomed in eritrea 
to do the dirtiest of the dirty work. And when I was speaking to people in Aksum, for example, when pe- when these seven to 800 civilians were being massacred in the streets, that was being carried out by marauding Eritrean troops while the Ethiopians watched. So it was almost, I mean, it's like it's like the most it's the most desperate version of a sort of operation condor that you can imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, he welcomed them in, they ain't leaving. So now you've got thousands of Eritrean troops based all over Tigray and really no way of, of getting them out without sort of bilateral talks. But I mean, how, how good are bilateral talks with a dictatorship? So, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's grim. Um, I, this might sound like a dumb question, but but why why are they so brutal? Why are they gang raping young women? Why are they killing every you know male kind of above twelve? Why are they going in so ruthlessly? Like what what? I just don't get it. Why? What is the point of being this ruthless when you know they're not actually fighting a huge resistance right now? Yeah, I mean it. It, it might sound like a stupid question, but I've been asking it over and over again. Um, I I guess there are two ways to look at this. There's a complex way and a very simple way. I think the very simple way is that if you're dealing with a, on the face of it, sort of communist one-party dictatorship, what he says goes, and once you dehumanise the opposition, then anything goes. I mean, we've seen it all the way through history, going back through the Balkans, all the way back to Armenia, wherever. Um and and the the sort of missives that he's been directing from Asmara, the capital, have been really like, you know, tear this place to shreds, loot everything, destroy them. And I think once you once you start the sort of firing gun on that, uh, fire the starting gun rather on that, then all hell breaks loose. Um, and I think once the dialogue descends to that level, then if you if if your dialogue is to exterminate the people, then you know, however me however you do it, um, is fair game. I think there is a slightly more um complex geopolitical angle to this, which is that, you know, his dictatorship is predicated on the supply of young people. He needs to keep them fighting by whatever means, otherwise there's no point having this giant slave army. Also there's very little in the way of an economy in Eritrea. So the systematic looting, destruction of factories, um, killing of workers, this is all part of a way to not only bolster the treasury of Eritrea, but to destroy its local neighbour and try to sort of become the hegemon uh, in that small region of the Horn of Africa. Um, I think there are a lot of economic aspects to the war that aren't being talked about that I'm trying to explore at the moment. Um, you know, destroying TPLF owned factories, making glass, cement, all kinds of things like this. They're not, again, I'll get a lot of shit for this, but they're not just meant in my view to destroy or to, to wipe out the people of Tigray. They're also meant to consolidate power among certain oligarchs in the country who have tried to wipe out people in the TPLF that for for a long, long time um, kept a lot of power and capital to themselves. So I think there is a fair degree of power play. As to why, you know, 25 soldiers are gang raping 80-year-old women, which is, that is not a strange story in this conflict. Um, I can't tell you. I mean, if I could, I'd probably go mad. 
but that's yeah that kind of that degree of violence i i don't get i can't get my head around no yeah uh, it, it's weird like i never really i've never wanted to believe in evil versus whatever but w- when it gets to that level i think that's like it's just a pure evil like there is no i just don't see any other like it's a, it's an evil like who the fuck does that it's it's disgusting um yeah it's next level man um you're talking about the economic situation there though that's quite interesting maybe maybe can you talk about that a little bit more if it's something you're focusing on in your reporting out there yeah well i think that because of i mean rightly because of the human rights abuses this saying that's kind of fallen along the wayside in a lot of the reporting about um ethiopia but there are a lot of different sort of um interests at play i mean one is outside interests such as China, Turkey, huge investors in Ethiopia. I mean, not very, uh, not countries that are particularly fond of devolved ethno-federalist power. So I think that is something which has, um, if not forced Abby's hand in the war, then at least influenced it. I think the amount of foreign direct investment in Ethiopia, which is fucking huge, um, is something which is, I would suggest, and this is like a theory, pushing his hand towards autocracy a little stronger. Um, now, the TPLF, uh, there is a there is a useful fallacy that people in Addis Ababa like to say about the TPLF and by extension all Tigrayan people, which is kind of allowing this genocide to happen, which is that the TPLF, therefore all Tigrayans are elites. There's 7 million of them. There's 110 million people in Ethiopia. They're rich. They're also dirty. I mean, you get in the crossover with the Holocaust. <laughs> like, there's a lot. Um, and that somehow, during the, over the course of their 27 years in power, the TPLF have ransacked the country's coffers and the people of Tigray have reaped the benefits of it. And a lot of what Abbey stood for in his early, his early couple of years was let's fight the elites, uh, let's take back power from the minority to the majority, uh, let's take back control over Ethiopia. Now, that is something that puts him in a pantheon of populist leaders all over the world at the moment, and Ethiopia has kind of become a sign of how far that rhetoric can possibly go. Because now, you know, there are elites in Ethiopia, there are certainly elites among the TPLF and other regions that have you know, rinsed the money out of the country over the years. But as usual, when you get to this kind of like elite bashing politics of the right, it doesn't actually focus on the people who are actually doing the damage. It's just blanketly calling all Tigrayans, um, you know, hoarders and thieves. And therefore you can kind of uh, justify any actions on the on, on an entire people to justify your, your politics. I guess that's going off topic a little bit, but there are huge economies in Tigray. The cement is a big one. Actually, I think it's like 30 or 40% of the country's cement is in, is coming out of one factory near Mekali. There's glass. There's a huge textiles industry there that's just been completely battered. That was half backed by China and Turkey. Um, so for the future doesn't look bright for Tigray because if the TPLF doesn't really exist anymore to corral this money or this economy, I don't really see who can. Um, it's a top, you know, it's a top down, it's a centralized economy in that region. So I don't, 
really see how they can rebuild that. Um, Ethiopia certainly doesn't want to help Tigray rebuild at the moment. In fact, this week, Abiy just signed a declaration that said that any remnants of the TPLF are designated as terrorists. So he's setting his stall out. Um, Eritrea is going to stay there and continue nicking every shit that it can find. Um, so <laughs> I wish I had some better news for you, but at the moment, um, you know, the, the people who are very pro TPLF are right about a few things. One of which is that it is systematically being economically, um, and, and, and humanly destroyed. Uh, and that is going to continue for some time to come. Yeah, I mean, it's Ethiopia trying to destroy the region from the inside out, top to bottom, all of it, right? Like, it's not just not just lives, it's the economy, everything. Um, wh- when will that end? What, when they've completely taken over the region or what? Well, see, I actually think that the most likely outcome right now is not going to, for peace in Tigray, will not come from Tigray. So... Having seen, I think, the the quick breakdown in Abiy's power in, in Addis, in uh, Tigray, the neighbouring Amhara region, which whose own militias have been, you know, well, not just rumoured, I mean, they've been proven to carry out human rights atrocities and they've taken over a lot of the arable land in Tigray. They've now been kicking off, walking down the street, demanding Abiy's resignation um, because they feel that they're not getting their dues in this government. Um the Aromia, or Aromia, which is the most populous region, which is just sort of west and south of the capital, uh, they've uh, there's been unrest there going back years and years and years. They're now kicking off against centralised rule. Um, Afar, which is the the area which is east of Tigray, that is now there's now a low key sort of conflict simmering with Ethiopia's Somali region. There is. It would not be out of the. It would not be crazy to suggest that if Abiy continues on the path that he's on, the whole country could break up into its constituent parts. I mean, Ethiopia is essentially an empire and not a country in the modern sense of the word. Um, you know, it's the, the the stories about it never being colonized and and this kind of stuff. That's true, but that means that the country is incredibly divided along ethnic and, and uh, in some cases, religious lines, but it's mostly the sort of ethno-federalist regions um, that are now sort of biting back at what Abbey wants to do, which is to create himself as a new emperor at the middle of it all. Um, I think that if he continues waging war in Tigray, interminable, I can't see it ending. There are too many guerrilla fighters on one side. There's too much material on the other side. Um, I think he could have problems in other regions and that could force his hand to actually bring people to the negotiating table in Tigray. That aside, I really cannot see a way in which this war is won or lost. I mean, if you murder someone's family, you're going to do pretty bloody well to stop them fighting against you. So I I really, yeah, I, I think we could be still talking about this in, say, six months to a year from now. I, I don't really see a way out as it stands. I'm sorry, I'm not being the most uh, upbeat of uh, interviewees. No, that, no, no, that's, that's, I mean, that's the reality, man. Um, did you did you get a chance to see any of the, the kind of, the, the guerrillas, the Tigray troops at all? Yeah, I met a few. Um, obviously, 
they're not really in the cities. They're kind of bivouacked out in the middle of the hinterland. So it's hard to, I mean, it was hard to see the fighting to begin with because it's being deliberately kept away from civilian populations. And there's only so much you can sort of run towards the gunfire before you've, you know, you, you might as well be committing suicide. Um, so I didn't see a huge amount of fighting. Um, saw a little, um, but I did meet some of the sort of newer recruits into the TDF guerrillas. Um, and they're extremely righteous. I mean, they not only are they fighting for the power base of these old guards who've, you know, been in, in charge of the region for ages, who are widely adored as well. But I mean, on top of that, the things that have been reported are just horrific. I mean, you know, you go through mass rape, um, massacres, um, full starvation. There's a famine potentially on the way as well. Um, you know, if if you're ever going to fire up a bunch of young lads with nothing to do and everything to defend, that's going to be it. And I met many of them. Um, they don't have a lot more than, than AKs between them. Um, but there's a lot of them. And even just from some smartphone videos that I saw of a bunch of them, you know, they were showing me rallies and gatherings with some of the leadership of the TPLF. There are, I mean, I would estimate there are five to 10,000 people meeting alone. So I think we're talking about a pretty large guerrilla force and they're not really getting beaten now. It's, it's become a stalemate. Um, you get the odd report of, you know, choppers or tanks being smashed by the guerrillas. Obviously they're losing people as well, but, in the in the landscape that they're fighting in, which is, I mean, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, a lot of it looks like that. So you can imagine that's just sort of ideal territory for for a, for a sort of a for a ragtag local fighting force with a bunch of local knowledge. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that they they're pretty well established in the hinterlands now, um, and I think it will take a hell of a lot to sort of, um, to, to beat them. And I don't think the political drive is there from Addis Ababa. And I think the Eritreans have what they want. So I, I don't see them really going on the offensive anytime soon either. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, how, how, um, widespread would you say the kind of new people joining the guerrillas is, is that something that's happening all over the place or is it just kind of like families that are already involved with the political party? No, I think it's I think it's everywhere. Yeah, I think that many people told me, uh, and again, the, the pro TPLF people online won't like this, but they told me that they they were fed up with them, uh, they'd had enough, but the war had kind of put everyone on a war footing, and now people from all over the region were joining. I mean, this is a big place. I, I've not got any stats to hand, but I would imagine it's probably about the size of sort of England, maybe maybe a bit bigger. Um, and there's 7 million people there. There's plenty of young men to choose from, especially now the economy has been battered to death. So these people are coming from everywhere. They really are. And um, as more of them recover, recuperate from the first wave of attacks by Eritrea, I think I think they'll, their ranks will be swelled quite a lot in the near future, if not already. Yeah, it's um, it's one of them ones where it's like almost a template, you know what I mean, from like previous conflicts all over the world. That's how it goes. The war comes, people join up. It's sad, man. Um, is there anything else uh, you think we should cover that we haven't gone over yet? I think that covers most things. I think there's something that's not 
Um, so if people kind of encounter this conflict online through social media, they're going to see a lot of fighting, a lot of sort of angry words. It's very, very black and white in the views of many people on the ground. And I think one p- big part of that is that Ethiopia has lurched from uh, an emperor dictatorship to a communist hunter to a repressive kind of cronyist uh, regime to to what's going on now. So I don't think that it's a very pluralist um, conversation to be in. And especially given that the TPLF's sort of founding principle is that it fought and beat Ethiopia uh, in in like the 90s, then you get some sense of how um, entrenched people are in their views about whether the TDF, the guerrillas now, can can fight their way out of this situation. I'm very sceptical about whether they can, but they believe wholeheartedly that they 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 will do, and I think that's part of the problem, is that everyone's so um, absolutely 100% sure that they're going to win this fight on either side. That's one thing that worries me a lot as well. Yeah, man, sounds like a fucking mess, man. It's, it's, it's really sad. Um yeah, it's it's terrible, man. Like, especially, you know, it's just the, the amount of watching the, these things I've seen where the women just getting, like, mass raped, like, stories of children, their kids being killed in front of them. It's just fucking unbelievable. It's just pure evil, man. It's like, no matter which side, whoever the fuck is on, like, that is irrelevant in terms of that. Like, it's just, that should never happen. It's insane. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's so widespread as well, which is, I don't know. I can't get my head around it. It's mad. Yeah, I mean, the the country's so unused to independent media in many ways as well. So I was able to debunk a bunch of things that the TPLF had said, for instance, that there were white phosphorus attacks on villages. Um, As far as I can determine, that's not true. That's propaganda. But the sheer number of stories about the sexual violence is just damning. And, like, it's it's fucking medieval, some of the stuff that's going on. so, yeah, uh, expect more of it to come out because I think a lot more, oh, sorry, a few more journalists are making their way into the region now. So hopefully the more light people can shed on this, the more sort of we can dig away at what the truth of the matter is. And I think we're going to, well, I think the international community is going to be forced into something. God knows what that will be. But, um, yeah, the more stories that I heard that come out, you just can't ignore them. They're horrible. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Um, okay, mate, thank you for coming on. Um, where where will people be able to see your work? You know, when you've when you've written up what you're doing. Yeah, I've got a few things on the way. So I'm doing this main story for GQ, <laughs> of all places. So I've got a big feature coming out for them. Um, I'm also trying to do a few news pieces and and uh, and we're going to do a special episode of the Underworld podcast as well on this. So. We're going to try and bring in a bit of my reporting uh, from Ethiopia for that. So that'll be out pretty soon as well. So people can check out the podcast probably before before anything else comes out. Okay, cool. And what's your what's your Twitter if people want to follow you there? Yeah, I'm uh, Sean Williams Journo on Twitter. So people can check me out on there. I say S. Williams Journo rather. Um, I think I've gained about half my followers from Ethiopia in the last couple of weeks. Um, most of whom seem to be disgusted at me for one reason or another. I think it's because I'm trying to be balanced. Oh, but, uh, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going wrong. I need to be a shill for someone and I'll be all right. Yeah, go join um, Grey Zone or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ almighty. 
I'd rather jump off a fucking bridge. I'd rather shoot um, myself in the face. Um, okay, yeah, mate. Thank okay. you very much, Sean. Appreciate that, man. Cheers, Jake. Take care, mate. That was Sean Williams talking about the ongoing conflict uh, between Tigray, um, who are being attacked uh, by Ethiopia and Eritrea. Very grim situation. Um, check out the podcast that um, Sean does with uh, journalist Danny Gold. It's called The Underworld Podcast. If you like Popular Front, you will definitely like Underworld, I think. It's basically um, a look at mad crime situations. Um, it's, it's, it, I, it's not like basic true crime shit. It's like very interesting, um, very underground kind of mad violent crime networks and shit um check them out at underworldpod.com um or just look on itunes spotify whatever just search for underworld podcast if you want more popular front please do consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front there are bonus episodes access to the community discord uh, narrated articles discount codes for merch all sorts there also I've got a book out right now um, it's a collection of some of my reporting some of my written work over the years it is called Gargoyle and the subtitle is reporting from front lines jail cells and trap houses check it out you can get a copy on Amazon I know fuck Amazon but there's a long situation with the copyright so I had to go through this way uh, you can buy the book find links at gargoylebook.com if you like popular front you will not be disappointed I don't think anyway uh, yeah gargoylebook.com Thank you to our sponsors. This episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee business selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 Southwest Bond Avenue, 97239. Tell them that Popular Front sent you. Uh, the episode was also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA. They've got one in South, one in West. Find them on socials at Grind Core House. The episode was also sponsored by Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and writing about historical conflict propaganda from around the world. Buy prints at propagandopolis.com. Use promo code POPULARFRONT10 for 10% off. Uh, if you want to advertise uh, with us, bear in mind you have to be independent and not some fucking corporate madman. Uh, but if you do want to advertise and, you know, we think that what you're doing is kind of goes with the ethos of what Popular Front is doing, um, we can talk. Uh, if you want to do that, email me at hanrahan at protonmail.com. H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N at protonmail.com. Uh, yeah. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home and the outro was by Sam Black. Check his music out at samblackpf.com. Also, the um, audio mix was done by Splicing Block. Um, check out Splicing Block podcast audio online. They're a very good bunch of people. Check them out. Thank you very much to our higher tier patrons for making all of this possible. Uh, they are Lapita Valenz, Bradley Davies, 
Laura RX, A Nickel, Manny, Travis Lieberman, Sky Alexander, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Don, LD50 Seattle, MJ, K Glitter Vulcan, Meredith Waters, Bethany Swerveland, C O'Donnell, Adam H, Larson8669, Karanti, Bjorn Kirsten, Diamond Steen, Jacob, Michael O'Connor, Taylor Kidd, Zach Picard, Todd Cravens, Alexander, Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, Jav, Ian Froese, James Cully, Michael Akakan, Ethan Fitzmadrid, Ed Coulthard, Johnny LaFleur, Clayton Taylor, Helen DeGenerate, Mike Barone, Ben Crock, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Amy R, Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawaiz, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, JL, Sebastian, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Dunham, Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Gorvenek, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, and Moritz Zumbul. Thank you all very much, man. I remember when there was like three or four people to read out. Now there's so many. Thank you so much. You lot are keeping this going. As I always say, the more money we get on the Patreon, the more popular front you're going to see. So yeah, thank you all very much. Please do consider supporting patreon.com slash popular front. <laughs>